Man, it's so good to be here with you this morning. Um, I just want to start out by saying this, man. I, I love our church. A couple of you guys do as well. That's good. The rest of you guys, who made you come here this morning? I'm just kidding. No. No, I, I, I was just thinking we, we had our morning huddle today and we were kind of going over some things that our church has been doing and, and uh, are looking forward to doing in the future. And, and then just sitting down and worshiping today, I just was just reminded how, how much I love what, what I get to do and what we just are a part of every Sunday. And it's just a really cool thing. And, um, I don't know. It's good. One of the one of the really cool benefits to meeting in a movie theater, besides the really comfortable seats and the smell of popcorn and the fact that you know if you didn't have a good time in church, you can just hang out and watch a movie after afterwards, is that um, <laughs> you can always redeem it by just watching you know the movie, next movie or whatever. But anyways, besides that, is that it forces us because we don't have a church building. We, it forces us to kind of be outside of ourselves a little bit. And so, um, yesterday we got to do that. We got to go and throw a block party and some townhomes, Park Vista townhomes in Wataga. And, uh, it was really cool. Like we just got to have this block party. We had Joel's out there DJing. The Kids Creek team did a fantastic job of bringing games and all kinds of stuff for the kids. And we had, it was crazy. We, we got to serve love on and hang out with over 90 kids yesterday. And that's, that's a really cool thing. And I think we've got a slideshow later on, um, and to kind of show y'all kind of what that looked like, but I just love what we get to do. And, and, uh, I don't know, God's pretty cool that we get to be a part of it. So, um, thank you for being you. How about that? I'll just start off with that. Is that too lovey-dovey for you this morning? Thank you. I'm glad you're special. I'm glad you're here. Um, anyways, <laughs> enough of that. So we're going to be in, uh, Mark chapter 11 today. Um, Mark. Yeah, I know. I text uh, Tyler the verses today and he was like, whoa, whoa, whoa what are we doing? We're going to be leaving John for just a little bit. Just just two weeks. Don't worry. I promise we'll be back. Um, we're, but Mark chapter 11, verse one. And so the reason why we're doing that is because today is Palm Sunday. And so um, Palm Sunday uh, is is kind of like Ryan alluded to. Uh, he pretty much preached my sermon today whenever in worship, which is a great. I love how God does that. Um, but it's pretty much a story of things going the way that people didn't expect. And it's a story of of the Israelite people having this certain expectation and then it going the complete opposite. And I think sometimes in our own lives, we probably have certain expectations for how we want things to go or how we expect things to happen or even how we expect God to move. And then he does something totally different. And this is a story about that. And so we're going to talk about Palm Sunday today. And so churches everywhere are celebrating Palm Sunday. And if you grew up in the church like I did, um, Palm Sunday meant something for you. And what it meant for you was you're going to sing Hosanna. And the kids were going to get some palm branches and you're going to get to go throw the palm branches somewhere. And it was get ugly. There's like you line up the kids and the moms are yelling at the kids because we got to videotape this. It has to go really well. Right. It was just a mess. Like it was one of the most stressful weeks of my life because I knew I was going to get yelled at for doing something wrong um, because I was the kid that was going to like, you know, my palm was going to be broken. And anyways, it was Palm Sunday was a stressful day for me. OK, but uh, so, yeah, so that's kind of my childhood memories of Palm Sunday is that. It was pretty much that. We're going to sing Hosanna. We're going to have palm branches. And we're going to go down the aisle in church and put them on the stage or whatever that looks like. Um, but it's so much more than that. 
right? And so we're going to take some time today, and we're going to look at at Palm Sunday. We're going to look at what we're celebrating, and we're going to start in Mark chapter eleven, starting in verse one. And it's it's titled correctly in my and my Bible. They call it the triumphal entry. And so let's just jump in verse one. It says, when they approached Jerusalem at Beth Bethpog and Bethany near the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples and told them, go into the village ahead of you. As soon as you enter it, you will find a young donkey tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back right away. So they went and found the young donkey outside the street and tied by a door. They untied it. And some of those standing there said to him, what are you doing untying the donkey? Just like Jesus said. And they answered them, just as Jesus had said, so they let them go. Then they brought the donkey to Jesus, threw, threw their robes on it, and he sat on it. And many people spread their robes on the road, and others spread leafy branches cut from fields, which are palm branches. And then those went ahead, and those who followed kept shouting, Hosanna! He who comes in the name of the Lord is the blessed one. The coming kingdom of our father David is blessed. Hosanna in the highest, and he went into Jerusalem and into the temple complex, and after looking around at everything, since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So here's the scene, here's the picture of this, this day, this Palm Sunday, this triumphal entry. Is Here comes Jesus, and since we left him in John, we left him in John around chapter 6, and a lot of things have happened in between there. And, and in that time period, Jesus has gained followers, he's lost followers, but one thing that has stayed consistent is that the crowds are following There's the large crowds, they're following Jesus, they want to know what he's doing, the crowds are here, and many of them have begun to think and believe that Jesus might just be this Messiah. Now, Messiah meant something, or they thought it was something different than what it means for us today, or what we saw it the reality of it to be, but they began to believe and think that Jesus was this Messiah, which he absolutely was and is. It just looked different. They thought it was going to look different. And so here he comes and he's entering into Jerusalem. So he's entering in the city of Jerusalem during Passover week. And Passover week is, again, one of those celebrations that the Jewish people did every single year. And it seems like every time Jesus has this big, huge event or he does like some big reveal, he waits until there's one of these special celebrations that the Jewish people are going to have. It seems to just constantly be doing that. Like like when we talked about in John 7 where he comes and, well, does the big Watergate thing. Like that that big reveal was around a huge uh, ceremony again. And so he always seems to be doing these big things around these events. And and this is it's no accident. Because as he's entering in, into Jerusalem during Passover season, the city of Jerusalem, all these people are coming to Jerusalem for the celebration. And the city of Jerusalem in itself would have doubled in size during this time. So he has the bulk of the Jewish population in Jerusalem during this time for what he's about to do. So Jesus goes, he gets a donkey, and shockingly enough, right, he tells the the disciples exactly where the donkey is going to be, how it's tied up, what it's going to look like, and the conversation that's going to happen around the donkey. That's just Jesus being Jesus right there, man. Like that, that's just him flexing his God muscles a little bit. Like he's just showing off at one point, you know, like, cause there's one, he's like, go get the donkey over there and like, all right, we'll do it. But he's like, oh yeah, they're going to say this, this, and this, just tell them this, this, and this, like that. Come on, that wasn't necessary. 
Like Jesus is just showing off at this point, right? But anyways, so he flexes the God muscles a little bit. They go get the donkey. And then he comes in, he rides this donkey entering into Jerusalem during this Passover season with the large crowds and people go crazy. They're screaming, they're chanting, they're cutting down these palm branches and laying them in the streets. It's even said, if y'all caught that, that they're taking off their coats, their garments and laying them in the streets for him to walk over. They're screaming, Hosanna, they're going nuts. So Jesus is entering into this huge huge scene, this huge welcome. It's almost like a king's welcome. People are losing it. Like, why? What's going on? Like, what what has happened in the last chapters since John 6, or we're at John 5, where we were at last week, to now here in Mark 11, where people, like Jesus just comes into Jerusalem riding a donkey and people freak out. The crowds are losing it. The crowds are throwing down. Like, what's what has changed, right? What's, what's going on? Well, what had happened, what had happened was, <laughs> between where we left off in John and now, is that people have begun to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And people have begun to hope that he's the Messiah. And what that means for the Jewish people, or what they think that means, is something totally different than what we know it to be today. What they thought was happening was that that some Old Testament prophecy was coming true, and it absolutely was coming true, just in a different way. But what they thought it was, was that there was going to be this coming king, that the Messiah was going to come. He's going to be this conquering king. He was going to be this future deliverer or savior, and he's going to come in, and he's going to rescue his people, and he's going to he's going to bring Jerusalem or bring the Hebrew people, the Jewish people, into this time of prosperity and blessing. See, God had been promising in the Old Testament that he's going to bring in this Messiah who's going to reestablish his kingdom on earth. He's going to reestablish God's kingdom here on earth. And Jesus absolutely does this. It just looks 100% different than what the people thought it was going to look like. And it was completely different than what they had expected and even what they wanted. See, sometimes what God does and what we want are two different things. But what we have to learn is that God's plan is better. And God's way is better. Not just better, it's best, right? What they wanted was this king to come in and conquer the Romans. And they had a a very understandable reason for that. Like for hundreds and hundreds of years, the Jewish people had been under the thumb and under the rule of all all these different nations. Like I'm just going to read off the list. They were under the rule of the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Persians, Alexander the Great, for a small for a small amount of time and now the Romans and they hated the Romans they hated everything about Rome like they thought Roman culture was an insult to their culture like they were they didn't like the Romans and so what they want is for this savior they believe this savior is going to come in and is going to be this mighty military dude who's going to deliver them from the hand of the Romans that he's going to reestablish Israel's kingdom on earth. Go back to the old days of David. That's why they're shouting about the kingdom of David being blessed again. Because they think he's going to come in and reestablish this military kingdom. And they think that Jesus is this guy. 
So can you just, just imagine that picture? Like you've been waiting on this dude for hundreds of years, this guy, this warrior, this champion to come in and conquer the evil Romans, to destroy the Romans so that we can be in charge again, so that we can have our kingdom again. That's what you've been expecting. That's what you've been waiting for. And they think that Jesus is this guy. That's why this hero's welcome makes sense all of a sudden, right? Like, they're not going to do this if they know he's coming to die in a week. Like, nobody does that. Let's throw a party for the guy who's coming and going to get killed on the cross. They think he's the champion. They think he's the conquering king coming to destroy the Romans. And so when he's riding into Jerusalem, which was the Jewish capital city, their expectation is he is the Messiah. He's coming to conquer Rome, and they are pumped. Like, you can picture it like any great war movie, right? Like any great ancient uh, war movie, Alexander the Great or, you know, Achilles or whatever, you know, whatever great war movies you guys are into, right? Where the, the king comes riding in, the people are excited, the, the, the champion is here, and they're losing it. And so, so if you can just imagine the scene, when Jesus comes in riding the donkey, um, like you would think that's kind of weird that he's riding a donkey, but they don't even pay attention to that. Because what they see is Jesus for the first time in his ministry, and the only time in the Bible doing something other than walking or riding a boat. This is absolutely symbolic. He's riding into the city. And the reason why this is symbolic and a big deal to pay attention to is back then when a king would enter into a city that he was conquering, he would do it riding an animal. So he's coming in like the champion riding his horse or riding whatever fantastic beast he's going to come in onto to his people. And more so than that, this was an animal that had never even been ridden before. That's why he says, get the young donkey. And the reason why that's a big deal, why that's significant, is the fact that it had never been ridden before meant that it was fit for a king because no one else rides the king's animal. And so I don't know if they knew that, but it's absolutely symbolic. And so here comes the king riding in like a champion. He's showing authority. The kings would, in that time period, they would ride these animals into the conquered cities for their triumphal entry. So here comes Jesus riding in, and when a king would conquer a city for the first time, like Alexander the Great or whoever, when they would conquer the city, they would ride into the city for their triumphal entry, and the crowds would do exactly what they were doing for Jesus. They would cheer, they would chant, they would give him spoils, they would, they would throw prizes or whatever to him and because they know that this guy's the conqueror this guy's the champion he's coming in we better praise him we better adore him we better give him everything we got because he's the new boss and so here comes Jesus riding in in uh, for his triumphal entry and the crowds are responding just like they would to a conquering king they're screaming they're chanting hosanna which means save us they're chanting to Jesus, screaming to Jesus, save us, new king, new champion, Messiah. They're throwing their coats and palm branches in the streets. And you think palm branches is kind of a weird choice, right? But what palm branches were was a symbol of Jewish nationalism. The palm branch was kind of like their symbol in a way. Like if you remember last year when we talked about the Maccabean revolt, uh, when, during that time period, the Jewish people, whenever they recaptured the temple and rededicated the temple, the Jewish people used uh, the palm branch in the same way they're doing it kind of here as a symbol of praise and, and, and like during in their ceremonies for being for what had just happened. 
And there's going to be two more Jewish rebellions happen in the next 70 years. And during that time period, the Jewish people are going to make their own coinage, make their own you know, money, and they're going to stamp palm branches on their money. The palm branch was absolutely symbolic for the Jewish people, but also kind of for this revolt type idea. It's kind of crazy, a palm branch, right? But I'll put it this way. The palm branch was kind of their rebel flag. The South will rise again, baby. Just kidding. Take that out of the podcast. I don't want to get arrested. (laughs) But in a way, the palm branch was their symbol of Jewish nationalism. We're coming back, baby. The new king is here. It was absolutely a symbol of their expectation that Jesus had come to conquer. They're making, they're making it clear, this is what we expect. We expect you to conquer. The king is here. The new king is here. God is about to do something. And the thing about it is that they were absolutely right. The new king is here. And Jesus absolutely was coming to conquer. The only thing was he wasn't coming to conquer the Romans. He was coming to conquer death. And he was coming to conquer sin and the grave. And he was coming to kill that thing that had destroyed our relationship with God. Jesus had come to establish a kingdom here on earth. Just not the way they thought it was going to happen. And again, so often, right, God does things and is doing things in our lives. And we want it to look one way. We want it to be, you know, a certain thing. But oftentimes what we see and what we're hoping for is for God to do something good in our lives. But God is, when we're thinking in the present, God is thinking in the realm and in the scope of eternity. When Jesus comes in riding the donkey instead of the horse, he is saying, I'm coming as a king. But the sign of a donkey was a sign of humility. And the fact that the donkey had never been ridden before, that did make it appropriate for a king to ride, but also... And Jewish custom and Jewish law, the fact that it had never been written before made it appropriate for a sacrifice. And so what Jesus is doing is he's not coming as the conquering king. He's writing in saying, I'm the humble sacrifice here for you. That's a different story right there, isn't it? He has come to save. As they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us, save us, save us. He is here to save. And in a much deeper and much more real way than they ever could have expected or imagined. The prophecies were coming true. And in a much more incredible way than they thought. See, Israel and God had two different plans. Israel's plan was for Jesus to conquer the Romans God's plan was that he was coming to conquer sin, death, and the grave. That's the one I'm for, (laughs) by the way, if I'm choosing. And and you got to think about it because, again, I'm going to keep going back to this, but oftentimes we want things our way and we want God to work how we want him to work and we want him to do it how we want him to do it. And and what if his way is different and what he's going to do is different and better, but what if we just kept pushing? And what if he did give us what we wanted in spite of ourselves? Like, what if we were just stubborn? We kept pushing through. And he's like, Man, Mike, I really am trying to do this over here. But if you can't go through the suffering, or if you can't handle the pain, or if you can't won't walk in it and, and just be patient and trust, and I'll give you what you want. Like, what if he do, does that, right? What if he did that for the Israel people, the Israelites, the Jewish people? What if he did that for them? What if 
He sends the conqueror who comes in and conquers Rome and, and, re and reestablishes this incredible kingdom. That'd been pretty cool, right? Like, what if he comes in and, and he reestablishes like this, maybe it's like this modern day United States of America, this nation that is still standing 2,000 years later, because the kingdom said it would never end, right? Still standing 2,000 years later, and it's this incredible nation that our children read about in history books, and we, we get to read the stories. Instead of stories like 300, we're, we're watching movies about the Jewish revolt, how they conquered Rome, right? That'd be pretty cool. I mean, yeah, right? But then what? Like, the guy comes, he, they conquer Rome, they do this revolt, the Jewish nation's there, the crowds who are chanting Hosanna get to be eyewitnesses to one of the most incredible military battles in history. Because make no mistake, for the Jewish people to conquer Rome would have been nothing short than done by God. Right? But then what? Because sin still reigns, death still has a stranglehold, the relationship with God is still broken, and every single one of us in this room still have no hope. You get what I'm saying here? God's plan is better. His plan was that Jesus would come and be the final sacrifice for sin, that the relationship with God would be restored. We could have heaven. The grave would be defeated. And, and as a kickback to last year's Easter, hope would be finally alive. For the first time in our history, hope would be alive again. For the Jewish people and for the world, God's plan was infinitely better. And I'm just going to make it about us real quick because that's right. That's what we do. Sometimes we have expectations for what God is going to do. And sometimes he does the exact opposite of what we expect or want. And sometimes we need to look back to this story and be reminded that God's plan is better. And what we need to do is walk in it, even if it's hard. And we need to trust God's plan because his plan is better. And that includes like the plan we have for our lives. You know, we got our five-year plans. We all want it to look a certain way. You know, I had, you know, my five-year, 10-year plan of what I wanted life to look like, what I wanted this church to look like, what I wanted my marriage to look like and all that. And I can tell you like none of it looks like I thought it would in any way, shape or form. But that doesn't mean that God's plan isn't better, right? But that also means the hard things too. Because here's one thing I know about our church is that there's a lot of people in here that are going through tough stuff, right? I mean, I read the prayer cards every week. I pray for you every week. I have conversations with you. Some of you are some of my closest friends, right? We walk through tough things. And we all have certain outcomes we want and what we're asking God to do and saying, why won't you go do this? Why won't you do that? Maybe we're asking for something that God's not doing. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's whatever, right? And when you keep asking God and keep expecting God to do things one way and then he doesn't, that can get really hard and really discouraging, right? And we can feel beat up and our faith gets attacked and we question what we believe, right? And in those moments, when that happens to you, 
I want to encourage you to remember this story. Remember this story of a king riding into Jerusalem and the whole world wanted him to conquer Rome. But his plan was to be a sacrifice. And when the whole world wanted him to conquer Rome, his plan was better. And his plan was right. And in the end, his plan was better for you and the world. And so when you have those moments, I wanted you to remember this. Trust God. His plan is better. Because the thing about God is that he sees the big picture when we get stuck in right now. Like the Jewish people, they wanted a temporary fix, but God was after the eternal fix. God sees what we can't see. God knows what we can't know. And sometimes the only thing that we can do is trust him. Like Israel, sometimes God gives us, if he would give us what we wanted instead of what his plan was, in the long run, it would hurt us more. He does it his way because his way is what's best for you in the long run. And as hard as that is for me to say, it's still true, right? When we get stuck in the present, remember that God is thinking about eternity. Trust God. His plan is better. And I want to say this. God doesn't cause the storm, right? God doesn't, those painful things, he doesn't cause those things in your life, but God always uses the storm. There is no moment in your life that is, that is wasted by God. Let me say it that way. There is nothing in your life that God wastes. Like even in, even in this way, think about the Roman Empire who the Jewish people hated. They hated them so much, right? They wanted nothing more than to be out of their control, out of their rule. And you know what God does? He used them to spread the gospel to the world. After Jesus dies and raises himself up from the dead and three days, we see the gospel spread like wildfire. And the reason why it was able to do that, one God, but because of what he had set up, he had allowed the Roman Empire to rise, which set up an infrastructure like the world had never seen, set up roads like the world had never seen, set up influence and power globally like the world had never seen. And that is one of the single most factors, historians agree, why the gospel was allowed to spread so quickly and so thoroughly to the ends of the earth. God used the very Roman Empire that the Jewish people hated to spread the saving gospel of the world. God doesn't cause the storm, but he never lets it go wasted. God always uses the storm. There's nothing that happens in your life that God doesn't use for your good and for the good of the people that you love. Sometimes the thing we're praying against, sometimes the curse, the sickness, God uses it to change our world forever. Trust him. His plan is better. And I, I want to just, with that in mind, right, and I, I know it's kind of like, man, this took a turn, huh? I want to tell you, tell you guys a story that really impacted my life, and I didn't get permission to tell the story, so I hope it's okay. We might have to edit this one out of the podcast, but um, that always makes you nervous, right? When the preacher's like, I'm going to tell a story. I didn't ask if I could. But I'm going to tell you guys a story about... Um, 
one of the ways that I've seen this truth play out um, in my life, and just an example of it, is a guy named Leon. And uh, so when I was about 13 or 14, me and Ryan, we grew up going to church together. And so when we were about 13 or 14, our lives changed forever um, because we were sitting in church one day and in came walking these two teenage girls. <laughs> and we were excited about that one because um, at that point, we were like the only youth group at our church. And two, we were teenage boys and suddenly there was teenage girls at our church, right? And so anyways, the reason why they were there is because their granddad made them be there. And uh, he had made the whole family come to church. And this guy's name was Leon. And Leon was a really incredible guy. He was a military vet. He was awesome at horseshoes. He taught me how to play horseshoes, which I still am awful at, but he, he taught me. Um, and he cooked the best steak I've ever had in my life. Like, I challenge you to make a better steak. I challenge you. If you, if you want to invite me to your house and cook a steak for me, I'll let you know if it's better. Um, but he made the best steak. And so anyways, Leon started coming to our church because he had found out that he had cancer. And uh, before that, Leon didn't have a relationship with God um, to speak of. His family didn't have a relationship with God uh, to speak of. And um, So he started coming to church basically like you hear because he found out that he had cancer. And before you knew it, his whole family was there. Leon was there. His wife was there. His son, uh, his son's wife, their kids, their adult son and his girlfriend, who's now married. And they have a bunch of beautiful little girls. And along with uh, their two daughters, which I mentioned previously, um, that's one story that didn't work out like you had expected. But we did, uh, we did okay for ourselves, Ryan. We did all right. And uh, wouldn't change that one, trust me. Um, and so they came for a few years and... And this whole family kind of became a, a huge part of our church family. And we love them. And I have a lot of memories, even, even in those few years of Leon and, um, like I said, the steaks, the uh, horseshoes. I remember going to dinners at his house. And I really do think he was trying to hook me up or set me up with his daughter, which I always appreciated, or his, his granddaughter. Um, I remember church picnics. I remember his huge hands. You remember his huge hands? He had huge hands and he had the coolest like tattoo. I guess he was a sailor or something. He had like this tattoo, like, you know, cause he's kind of an older guy. And so it's all blurred out. You didn't even know what it was, but you're like, that's awesome, man. Old guy with a tat, right? But I just remember he had these huge hands that he would engulf my hands. Um, but like the gentle guy, kind guy, good guy. And uh, they became a, a part of the church family and, Leon struggled well, he fought well, um, but eventually uh, the cancer won out, and it was heartbreaking for our church, it was heartbreaking for his family, um, and, and from a distance, you know, I didn't, I knew him, but he, I wasn't, he wasn't my grandfather, he wasn't my dad, you know, it didn't hurt me as much as it hurt his family, but um, from a distance, I, I remember just kind of asking God, like, why? Why? You know, the questions that we always ask during these times, you know, normal questions, healthy questions to ask God, you know, why are you, why are you doing this? Why are you letting this, not doing this, but why are you allowing this to happen? Why, like you have the power to fix this. Why didn't you, God, right? And in that moment, um, God kind of, I spoke something to me or reminded me of something that I've never forgotten. And it's kind of one of those really hard truths, but it's really a beautiful truth too is that he, he reminded me it's appointed for every man a time to die. And you say, well, Mike, how is that 
encouraging. Thanks, Mike. What he reminded me was that whether Leon had passed away that moment or had lived another 20 years, he was still going to die. Just like you, just like me, it's, it's still going to happen, right? I mean, that's one thing we can't escape. I mean, people are trying. You know, we work out like health nuts and we eat right. And, and then you just, you know. And so God reminded me and that his time would come. And you're like, well, why is, that, why is that comforting? Because what God reminded me was the same thing I told you earlier. Then what? His time was going to come eventually. And then what? Because here's the thing about that cancer that we hated so much and was so, so awful is that that very same cancer that killed him in a, in a way was the same thing that saved his life. Because it was that very same cancer that brought him through the doors of our church. It was that very same cancer who brought him to a knees on an altar. It was that very same cancer who brought him to the feet of Jesus and caused him to ask God to save his soul. And even though it's a cursed, evil thing, in a way it was a beautiful thing. Because if it wasn't for that, what if he had gotten his 20 more years, then what? And see, the thing about it is we so often are stuck in the now. And even though that cancer was awful, and even though like I hate the way it turned out, when we were stuck in the now, God was thinking about eternity. And God used it to save not only his life, but to impact the, the life of his wife, their kids, their kids' families, their granddaughters, their grandkids, their great-grandkids. Like to this day, not all of them are saved, but a lot of them are. A lot of them are. And what God did is he took that storm, that evil cancer, and he used it to transform the destiny of an entire family. Think about that power. Only God, man. Only God does stuff like that. Takes a storm like that, takes some crap like that, and uses it to transform an entire, not just generations of that family will be different because of that cancer and because of what God did in it. Think about that. Because even in the darkest of storms, God is still working. Even in the darkest of storms, God is still in charge. God is still the boss. And even in the darkest of storms, his plan is still better. And as hard as that is for us to grasp, sometimes all we can do is walk in it and trust it and know it. And I'm not saying that your story is going to turn out like that. I'm not, I'm not trying to discourage you and say, are you saying that's what's going to happen to me? No, 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 no. What I'm saying is even in the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst, God can still transform the course of history for an entire family. And if he can do that in that situation, don't you think for a minute he can't do that for you because you're no different. God loves you the same, and God wants to work in your life just like that. Even the, the worst of circumstances, God's plan still shines through. And so, you know, maybe we're looking for God to come establish an earthly kingdom. And what God's saying is, I'm here to do something for eternity, baby. I'm here to change the course of history for the rest of time. And the truth of the matter is that we don't know what that looks like. 
We just know that's what God does. And he's still doing it, and he's going to do it. And so I know that sometimes we want God's plan to look different. But in those moments, I just want to encourage you to trust him because his plan is better. Because instead of conquering a nation, he conquers death. And because of that, the worst thing that could ever happen to us is to die and meet Jesus. And because of that, we have nothing to fear. Even in the worst of the worst of the worst of the worst, we have nothing to fear because we have a hope. Because God's plan is better, we have a hope. So I want to encourage you to trust in that this morning. And I want to encourage you, man, if you're walking through that today, trust his plan, okay? So I'm going to pray. And man, as always, if you need, if we can pray for you, if there's anything we can do, there's guys here that would love to pray with you, love to be there for you. And we just want to walk through this stuff with you. I just want to encourage you. His plan is better. All right. God, I love you. Thank you for, thank you for Palm Sunday. God, thank you for the fact that when we were looking for a king to come and conquer the Romans, you conquered sin, death, and the grave. And because of that, because of what you did, time and history is changed forever. God, thank you for the fact that you can take something as just awful as cancer, God, and you can use that storm to change the course of history for an entire family, that because of that illness, now daughters and sons and granddaughters and grandsons and great-granddaughters and great-grandsons now know you, now have a relationship with you, now will see their grandfather in eternity, God. Because when we're stuck in the present, God, you're thinking of eternity. God, help us to never forget that, even, even when it feels impossible to trust that. God, your plan is better. Help us to trust. In Christ's name, amen.